My Atari 2600 Plus arrived, and it's a good retro console that plays all the old cartridges. Plus, Microsoft made a big VR announcement that it hoped to hide inside the holidays. Tonight is December 24th, 2023, and the Bobby Blackwell Show, featuring your calls and chat comments, is up next. So, so not, you would say, uh, even if... Gonna... You... <laughs> okay, I'll let you go. You talk. Wow, what, what happened to your voice? Thank you, Skype. So video games, that's what the show is about. This is that one, Akia Ripper from uh, Sweden. And what's with all the Halo hate, Bob? You've been hating on Halo a lot lately. I, I just don't like shooters. I'm not saying it's a bad game, I just don't like it. Billy OK says he can't be seen in public playing games that aren't hardcore, what would people say? And what up, G and Chad is once again talking about wrestling. That's why it's it's not because they hate the fans. It's more because they have to start from scratch. Uh, hogwash. Later. From a little room in Atlanta, Georgia, Bobby Blackwolf. I meant to say today is December twenty fourth because it's it's we're not recording this at night on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, y'all. Uh, welcome to a daytime, special daytime edition of the Bobby Blackwell Show, where we discuss the current news affecting the video game industry, as well as sometimes reminisce about gaming's history. My name is Bobby Blackwell. If you're joining us here live, uh, thank you so much. This is a, an interesting time. It is, uh, instead of being 8 o'clock p.m. on the East Coast, it is, uh, it is uh, my phone's dead, uh, 2.03 in the afternoon. Uh, because we didn't want to be doing a show on Christmas Eve. Uh, and then next Sunday is New Year's Eve, and I will not be doing a show then. So uh, we decided uh, at, at, here at Vogue that we're going to do our Sunday night programming in the afternoon. Uh, so after me is going to be Orange Lounge Radio at 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific. It's going to be uh, it's going to be great. Uh, if you are joining for the first time, thank you so much. Uh, we normally do these shows at night. Uh, and uh, this is just a, it's a podcast I've been doing for uh, almost 19 years now. Gosh, it's been it's been a long time, uh, but that I've been doing just about the video game industry. And uh, I was one of the first video game podcasters back when like iTunes launched podcasting. Uh, it was about a month later. I'm not the first. I'm not anywhere near the first. I think there were like 50 video game podcasts when I started. Now there's like 5,000. And I am one of them. And I am still here. So uh, thank you so much for checking it out. Um, it is really, uh, it, it, we, we have a lot of fun. So if you're joining us in our chat room, uh, I will be trying to read intelligent comments from chat throughout the day. Uh, and uh, maybe you'll be able to hear yourself on the air. But we are a podcast, and so this does go out on the podcast feed. So for you, it probably is always daytime when you're listening to the show. I don't know. Uh, but we do have a Discord server, vognetwork.com slash Discord. That is where you can find uh, and, uh, and and interact with us during the week if you can't be here uh, during our normal recording sessions. So um, I will... Uh, mention right quick at the top uh that uh so we're not gonna have a show next week on new year's eve uh then in january i'm actually gonna be up in pittsburgh for awesome games done quick uh i have uh been fortunate enough to be one of the many hosts uh that have worked with games done quick i've done all the mainline marathons uh that start started in summer uh the my first one was summer games done quick 2020 uh, so during the, the whole pandemic, the online only era, uh, is when I started, but I am, uh, fortunate enough to have been selected to go back and, uh, be, uh, be a host, uh, in Pittsburgh in a couple weeks. It's the 14th through the 21st, I believe. So it's the third week of, uh, of um, uh, of January. Uh, I will not be here on that first Sunday night, but I will be back in time for the, the actual, the, the, the day after it ends. So I'm flying back on Sunday. Uh but if you want to hear me on Thursday night 
at 11 o'clock Eastern, 11 p.m. Eastern, uh, is my first shift. I'm only doing one game. I'm doing Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. So I'm the host for Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. It is the Jet Set Radio uh, sequel that we all wanted. That's what Bomb Rush Cyberfunk is. It's going to be run by Storied. Uh, and then on Saturday, starting in the morning here on the East Coast at about 10, 15 a.m. Eastern, it'll probably it'll fluctuate. I'm um, hosting Kirby Master's Fire Emblem Awakening Run, uh, from which is a new Nintendo 3DS game. Uh, then it'll then after that, I am hosting my buddy Froob running a Yakuza game. He's running Lost Judgment, the Kato Files, which is a DLC. Uh, and then after that, Kazan's going to be doing all the cups with skips in Mario Kart 64. So uh, I'm going to be there. On, I'm going to be there all week, but on Thursday night and Saturday early afternoon on the last day of the marathon, you will be able to hear me on Awesome Games Done Quick. So um, let's talk about uh, the stuff. Like I, I thought this was going to be kind of a slow news week, which is why I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring out the Atari 2600 Plus, and we're going to do that. We are absolutely going to do that. Uh, but there are some things that happen that I don't know if I want to wait until 2024 to talk about. And the first one is kind of a dilemma that I'm having um, regarding uh, the big news that happened about Insomniac getting a lot of their uh, information leaked. Basically, there was another Sony uh, Sony hack. It was a ransomware group. They demanded money. Sony didn't pay it, so they uploaded a bunch of documents and a bunch of videos from Insomniac. And um, it's been kind of interesting to see how uh the the my colleagues is uh it, how how many of my colleagues are um reacting to this ba- compared to other things that have leaked um and i think it's partially because this event or th- this this one uh happened and it included a lot of employees personal info and a lot of these people know these developers a lot of the other leaks have happened uh, you know, to to be fair to, to Japanese companies. So a lot of the people in the American media don't know somebody that works there, but a lot of this industry is small. And so a lot of people that are very active in kind of gaming media uh, and gaming journalism, not maybe not, and maybe even some content creators as well, know somebody who has, who works at Insomniac or know somebody who eventually worked at Insomniac or know somebody who used to work in Insomniac. Um, So, it's been interesting because a lot of people are like, well, we don't want to cover these leaks. And I'm like, but we've always covered like, and I haven't, but other people have covered like when Nintendo get leaked. And there was actually an interesting story that came out this week is that one of the big uh, leaks from uh, about Super Smash Brothers, the 3DS version, uh, a lot of the characters got leaked uh, a while back. And uh, we, we finally found out who the leaker was. And it was literally like their dad worked at Nintendo. You know, you know, like when we were kids, we were like, oh, my cousin works at Nintendo and told me that this was true. And like, it was the joke. And it actually turns out that the person who leaked the Smash Brothers 3DS stuff so many years ago, uh, their dad did work at Nintendo and they pulled the files off of dad's computer, gave it to some friends around school and it made it onto 4chan and then it was all leaked. But we've all always covered those. And when, you know, and people would cover the content of those leaks this one, a lot of people aren't, and I'm not either. I'm not going to co- co- cover the content of the leaks. I do have some things I want to say about the reaction to them, because on one hand, see, this is where I'm torn. On one hand, reporting on what's in the leaks just makes it harder for the developers who 
aren't used to seeing the rough drafts of their work out in public like this because there were some trailer there were some not trailers but some work work in progress footage of alpha builds of games that were coming out in 2025 2026 things that are very early in development a lot of things change in the first couple of years and we had this whole big conversation last week about E3 and I said that one of the reasons E3 died is because E3 wanted to let the consumers in and the industry was like, well, we don't want the consumers to see our early work in progress software. And so they pulled back. They didn't have as much stuff on the floor. It was all closed room demos or a theater, somebody playing a pre-recorded video that they acted like somebody was playing, which which some companies did. It looked like it looked like they were actually playing. They would actually have a person sitting at the up front with a controller. And uh, but it would actually be a pre-recorded video because they didn't want anything to go wrong, because if a consumer saw it, if somebody who's not used to the game industry saw it, they would be like, well, this game sucks. Like and, and I said last week, if you saw the build of Halo in 2000 that I did, you would have written it off and never played it. You would have never given it a chance. You would have called it dead on arrival. You would Halo would have died if consumers actually saw the 10 frames per second gameplay that I saw in 2000. But those of us that were there in the industry, we knew, okay, that's a great start. I see where you're going with this. And so uh, there was, you know, one of the games, Wolverine, uh, that was the reaction was, oh my gosh, this is terrible. They just, they should cancel this now because it looks so terrible. It looks so rough. It looks so bad. And, you know, or it looks mid, you know, uh, if you want to use their terms. And that underscores why the industry pulled out, pulled back from E3 is because that's the reaction that you're going to get from consumers. But on the other hand, one of the big problems that we have with gaming journalism is that it is basically an, a PR, an arm of the PR companies. Gaming journalism doesn't report on anything about a company until the company tells them it's okay. And that's been a point of contention when you do have people who do have investigative reporting backgrounds that maybe got, you know, started in just, you know, standard journalism and moved in the gaming space and they would actually get sources and, you know, uh, you know, anonymous sources that they knew, but they didn't report on. And and, you know, talking about, you know, Jason Schur, is, is a, a, who's at Bloomberg now, is, is a big person of this where he will report that a game has been canceled or delayed. Before the company is ready to tell everybody that it's delayed, everybody gets upset at Jason, and then it turns out, yeah, no, the game was delayed. Um, but a lot of people are upset that Jason didn't wait for the company to say it's okay. And I don't think it's right that we are so tied to the PR companies, and we can't talk about things until the PR companies tell us that it's okay to talk about things. But this leak also included, like, passports and information about employees that used to work there, that work there now, uh, social security numbers. Like, they released everything about the and, – and that stuff is – I'm glad, no, you know, we're not sharing that stuff, but that stuff's out there. And I think because that's in this leak as well, that's why a lot of the gaming journalism people are like, we're not going to cover the any of the leaks. We're going to cover the response to the leaks but not every, every one of them. And uh, I respect that. But as time goes on, 
as we kind of get past and, you know, hopefully they're taking care of all the employees and getting all the, you know, audit, fraud detection and all that stuff that's that they need to do. Um, eventually these are going to like this stuff, this is out there. Once it's on the internet, it's, it's out there. So we're going to know things and we're probably going to reference things that were publicized from this leaks. We're just not going to do it this week or really this year because the year ends in a week. Dark Tatsia in chat over at Vogue Network says, reminds me of when Grand Theft Auto 6 leaked and the response to the in-development stuff was, it looks like <laughs> Yeah, that that was what they pretty much said. ZenMonkey11 says, they need a if-you-know-something-say-something type campaign for this type of stuff. Do a PSA to the gaming community so they can put a clamp on some of this stuff. Well, I mean, this leak was, this was a company, this was a, a ransomware group. Like, they demanded money. I think it was like $2 million. Sony didn't pay them $2 million. And they were like, okay, yeah, you're going to leak stuff. And then they did. Toothpick Vic in chat. Hey, Vic. How you doing? Uh, no, known Vic for a while. Thank you so much for stopping by. Um, uh, but if if the press would just stop giving access to, or the devs, I guess, to give, stop giving access to the builds and only drop reviews two weeks before the release. Um, there is the whole embargo thing, and I think that's what you're referencing here, Vic. Um, and I'm okay with the embargo stuff because that also kind of levels the playing field for the press. But um, and, and I have been blacklisted from things before I used to get review copies of things 10 years ago, 15 years ago from companies that don't talk to me anymore. And that's fine. Um, you know, and so I just, you know, I, I, I get to do things after release and then I spend my own money with, uh, on things. I haven't gotten review copies in a while. Uh, but we are like what people are worried about, I guess what, where Vic is going with this is, you know, a, a lot of gaming journalists are like, well, if I report on the content of the Insomniac leaks, then I'm not going to get a Wolverine review copy in 2026 when it comes out. Um, and and that that is a, a valid worry, uh, especially of these larger outlets that depend on those clicks. And if you're, you know, if you're not getting a review copy, uh, you're not going to be there on embargo day with everybody else. So you're going to lose out on that day one traffic. Um and and there have been large sites. I mean, Kotaku is blacklisted from several uh, major AAA developers. And so they put out their review a couple of weeks later because they have to wait for release day to buy the game and then do the review. Um, so I'm not going to talk talk about the content of the leaks, um, and, but it is kind of highlighting the interesting dilemma between, uh, you know, being an arm of the PR agencies that are you know that dictate when you can talk about things and also being respectful to the developers um no developer likes seeing their work in progress stuff blasted all across the internet i uh there's actually a former uh listener of the of this show back from uh the pre vogue days who works at rockstar and he works on grand theft auto 6 he's been at rockstar for a couple of years now and so he's been working on grand theft auto 6 and he was so excited for the trailer release and the fact that it got leaked the day before and Rockstar had to release it the night before uh, really gutted him because he was looking forward to that drop at 9 a.m. when they were going to do it. Uh, and he was so looking forward to watching all the, the reactions in real time. The entire dev team was. They were making it a whole day out of it. And then Rockstar had to put it out a night early because somebody had leaked it and put crypto stuff as a watermark on it. 
Toothpick Fix says uh, that or we stop early access for feedback because of backlash due it not to not being release ready. And, and there are some companies that do that now. There are some companies that don't have any preview events. And you can see it in the movie industry as well, um, where they just won't have preview events for things or they won't have early screenings, uh, you know, because they're worried about the backlash. And so you can always tell how confident in a game a developer is or a publisher is because the publisher sets this is how early do they let early access or, you know, feedback, you know, or previews, how early do they allow those? If they don't allow anybody to see the game until it's out, you can pretty much guess there's a reason why they're not dumb. Developers and publishers aren't dumb. So that's my thoughts over the recent leaks. Uh, my hearts go out to the developers who have, uh, are going to have a really interesting, uh, you know, stressful Christmas because uh, their personal information got leaked. And there are people that don't care about video games, but they care about Social Security numbers and passport numbers and all that other stuff. So there's a lot of people wondering if they're going to have a line of credit uh, because uh, there, there are people that would love all that information. That's a goldmine for people. Then there was news this past week that I normally uh, – that – that this is kind of the other news that you're probably not going to hear a lot of. Uh, this was actually turned on in our Discord. Tiger Claw posted this in our Discord, so thank you so much, Tiger Claw. Uh, and it's about VR, and it's about a VR headset some of you might have. It may no longer work pretty soon. Upload VR reports that Microsoft is killing its Windows Mixed Reality PC VR platform. So they called it mixed reality, but it never had the augmented reality. It never had the real-time glasses. Uh, but it was essentially, it was a lower-cost VR headset that worked with Steam VR. So you could play all the uh, games that were made for the Vive and the Index and stuff. You could play those on Windows Mixed Reality, and it was a cheaper entry uh, into, uh, into, into VR. Uh, the first Windows Mixed Reality headsets arrived in late 2017 from Acer, Dell, HP, Lenovo, and Samsung, aiming to compete with the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive that launched a year earlier. They were the first consumer VR products to deliver inside-out positional tracking for both the headset and the controllers, which is what the Quest, the MetaQuest, uses now, uh, is the inside-out, which basically the sensors are in the headset and is tracking around you, unlike the Valve Index or the HTC Vive or the first Oculus Rift, uh, where the trackers are in your room. Uh, so I actually, like, there's a Vive tracker here. I've, I've got two index trackers uh, in the corners of my room. One is in this corner and one is in the corner up to, or one's corner behind me and one's corner front to my right. Um, but you don't need those for the Windows Mixed Reality. Uh, you don't, and uh, also for the PlayStation VR 2, it's inside out for the same thing. Whereas PlayStation VR 1 was not inside out. You had to have the PlayStation I camera, whatever they called I think it was the eye. Yeah, the PS4 one was the eye. Uh, the PSI camera was what tracked the headset. So Microsoft announced this week that Windows Mixed Reality is now officially deprecated and will be removed in a future release of Windows. This deprecation includes both the required Mixed Reality portal application and the Steam VR driver. Uh, in recent years, Microsoft has shifted its XR, which is extended reality. That's the blanket term now is XR. Uh, focus to a software-based long-term strategic partnership with Meta. It brought Xbox Cloud Streaming and its Office Suite to Quest this month and plans to bring Windows 365 to Quest next year to stream a fully-fledged Windows 11 PC from the cloud for a subscription fee. 
So when is this actually happening, for those of you uh, wanting to know? Um, so Upload VR actually reached out to, for, to Microsoft to find out more information. And a representative provided the following statement. So, quote, as of November 1st, 2026, for consumers, and November 1st, 2027, for commercial customers, Windows Mixed Reality will no longer be available for download via the Mixed Reality Portal app, Windows Mixed Reality for Steam VR and Steam VR Beta, and we will discontinue support. Existing Windows Mixed Reality devices will continue to work with Steam until users upgrade to a version of Windows that does not include Windows Mixed Reality, unquote. So what's happening here is that because it was the way they did it is Windows Mixed Reality is embedded inside Windows. So the drivers are part of the OS. This is the same type of thing that got Microsoft in trouble 20-something years ago, 25 years ago with the DOJ, with an Internet Explorer versus Netscape Navigator, all that stuff. So they bundled all this stuff inside Windows. So if they want to take it out of Windows, then you can't use it anymore. Unlike other VR headsets that are not made by operating system manufacturers, uh, this is part of the OS. So you can't have it separate. They're not going to make their devices work separately. But you do have like three years before they actually stop working. I do believe that there is a, a date and there was something I think else re, that was like, you won't be able to activate a new mixed reality headset in like a year. I think like in 2024, 2025, they're going to stop you from actually activating a new headset, but you can use your continuing your existing one for the next three years, which um, hopefully means that means you can save up enough money to buy a replacement over the next three years that will work with your games because there are more companies that are doing this. And I th and Microsoft tried to hide this in the holidays. I think this came out on the 21st. So they were like, oh, nobody's going to notice. There's, you know, everybody's going to be home for the holidays. But yeah, so if you own a mixed reality, uh, Windows mixed reality headset, a device, and you use it and plan on continuing using it, uh, get all the, th uh, get, all get everything you can out of it in the next couple of years because you're not going to be able to use it once they do this random, we don't know when that update is. Uh, I think it's late 2024 is when the Windows update is going to be that will take it away. This is the unfortunate side of uh, obsolescence. And, you know, when when a company puts something out and they take it away, Google's not the only one that turns off these services. So let's talk about something that's not the news. Let's talk about Atari. Let's talk about the past. I'm going to talk about the Atari 2600 Plus. Now, what is the Atari 2600 Plus, you ask? Well, this is Atari's attempt at uh, yet another attempt at a retro console because Atari, the people who run Atari now, uh, have finally leaned into the fact that they are not a current game company, they are a, uh, a retro game company. And they've really started leaning in more into their history, which is why they've made a lot of purchases recently of other companies. Digital Eclipse is now owned by Atari. Moby Games, which is like the IMDB of video games, that is owned by Atari. They even purchased the Atari Age forums that were a repository of people who were collecting Atari, coding Atari, homebrew, things like that. And they came out, they've come out with multiple like retro consoles, plug and play consoles and stuff, but they finally came out recently with the Atari 2600 plus and the Atari 2600 plus looks like an actual Atari 2600. Uh, it is in, but it connects over HDMI. Uh, but it has, it's the wood grain Atari 2600 and it's got 
uh, the one controller in it. Now, the gimmick here that is different from every other retro console that you've ever seen is that it plays actual cartridges. And that is something we that no other company yet has willingly attempted to do. And there's a very good reason for that, because we asked when, you know, the NES Classic and the SNES Classic, when all that stuff came out, we're like, why, why can't we, why can't it work with my cartridges? Why, why can't I do that? And the reason they didn't do it then is that the risk assessment of uh, customer service complaints. People would go back, find these old dusty cartridges that, that they didn't take care of from the 80s, maybe the 90s, and they would put them in the NES Classic if the NES Classic had a cartridge port and say, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? And Nintendo didn't want to do that. And so they made sure that it was the Classic was basically a system that only played the games that they wanted. And Atari has finally broken the mold. This is the, actually the second time that Atari has released a uh, classic retro console, like a modern day retro console that had a cartridge port. It's just the last time because of that exact same issue, uh, it was hidden. The Atari Flashback 2, and there's been like 10 Atari Flashbacks, but 2, Atari Flashback 2, was an actual Atari on a chip. It was not emulated. It was actually the Atari. It was done by an amazing engineer who is no longer with us named Kurt Vendel. Actually, he was one of the first people I interviewed on this podcast back in 2005. And he had the pinouts on the board for a cartridge slot. But it wasn't actually in the console. So what? But the, he was like, yeah, you can go to AtariAge.com. And you basically take a Dremel tool to the, to, to the Atari Flashback 2. You cut out the cartridge spot where the cartridge would be, and you could put in a cartridge slot that you could get, uh, and, and you, you put it in, and you solder it in, and then you could play your own cartridges on the Atari Flashback 2. And it, it had composite out, which is not something the original Atari had. The Atari was only uh, RF out, so you had to deal with all the noise and the static of an RF cable. Uh, but the Atari Flashback had, uh, had, um, had composite out. But now we have the Atari 2600... Plus, which has the cartridge slot built in. In fact, it's the only way you can use it. And so I actually have a couple of Ataris sitting here. I have the Lego one is actually built bigger because I have the Atari 2600 Lego set. Uh, I did not bring up my actual Atari 2600, but it is downstairs. But the Atari 2600 Plus is a smaller, uh, lighter weight version of uh, the, the Atari 2600. And it's, so it's, they've got the wood grain. Uh, it's got four switches on the top, so you have your power, uh, you can have your color in black and white, and then your game select and your game start. And then on the back, you actually do have an HDMI port, uh, and then it has a USB-C for power, and they do not give you a power brick, they only give you a power cable. Uh, and it's got the two cartridge ports, which are the same nine-pin connector, so your old, the old Atari 2600 stuff work on it. Uh, and the Atari 2600 joystick that comes with this works on the old hardware. Uh, and then it's got the knobs. Uh, it's got two switches on the back. Uh, th so it's got the difficulty on the back. But then a third switch over here is new for this. And I have it set to 4x3. But it's, this is where you would swap between 16x9 and 4x3. And it goes out over HDMI. And then the other thing is if you turn it on, and I don't know if it's going to show in the with my lights on, but if I turn it on... The uh, the actual Atari logo lights up. 
on the front, on the front of the wood grain. That's how you know that it is on. Um, and it runs with actual cartridges. There is no built-in games. Now, the other thing about this is that it's an emulator. This is not the Atari Flashback 2. This is not the Atari on the chip. This is running Stella under the hood. It is loading things that way. Uh, so it is not a one-to-one comparison, and not every game actually works with it. Uh, but the majority do. And it comes with a 10-in-1 thing. And so you're probably wondering, well, how does it work with uh, you know having a, one cartridge with 10 games? How does that work when you're not doing any kind of, uh, int- you know, any kind of bootloading or anything like this. And so what they actually have is they gave, they, it comes with a cartridge with 10 games on it. And it's an actual 2600 cartridge. But what they've done is that to change the ba- the game on the back, there are dip switches. And so you would actually have to change the dip switches on the cartridge to match the game that you want. And this is how this cartridge works even in normal Atari 2600s. Because I have my Atari 2600 and this cartridge absolutely did work and it played exactly how I remember. So you would set your dip switch. Uh, the 10 games that come with this are Adventure, Combat, Dodgem, Haunted House, Maze Craze, Missile Command, Real Sports Volleyball, Surround, Video Pinball, and Yars Revenge. So that is the 10 games that come with the Atari 2600+. Plus. And so what does it look like when you're actually about to play it? Well, I will show you. Uh, I actually recorded some video earlier, and this is me uh, putting... Uh, I basically put in Adventure is the one that I put in here. Uh, and you, when you load it up, it actually shows the Atari uh, screen, and you can see it's loading game because it's loading it as, as into Stella. It's loading basically the ROM. And then you have your game, and I've got it in 4x3 mode. It's It actually came in 16x9 mode. I'm like, I don't want it like that. Uh, and then you just play Adventure with, with the... With the and, and it has the sounds, but it's, it's, it's just like you would if you were playing Stella. So it, it, it plays through, and, and, and it's, if, if you have Stella, like any kind of Atari emulator with Stella on your PC, or maybe you have the other Atari 2600, uh, a different Atari VCS or something that plays these games, it plays it the same way. Basically, it dumps the ROM, and then it... Uh, it, it lets you play the game with the original controller. Darklaw asked if I did the Easter egg. I am not good enough at Adventure to do the Easter egg. I am good enough at Adventure to beat Game 1 uh, with difficulties, both difficulties set to A. Uh, I am good enough to beat it, and in fact, we're doing a speedrun of it right now here on the screen. Uh, I didn't time it, but uh, this this video is only like two minutes long. But we're about to beat the game, and uh, we're about to get the chalice into the yellow castle, and boom, there we go. I just beat the game. So, so that was, um, th- so that's, you know, showing adventure. And then, like, the next uh, video that I've got up here is uh, showing Yar's Revenge. So I've actually, I did move, um, I, I changed up the dip switches and put in the same cartridge, and we've got Yar's Revenge going on here. Um and it plays like you would remember if you played it on an emulator. Uh, and, and it's it, Stella emulation is so close that it's it's actually, you know, you're good. Like, it's, 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 it's close enough to the original. It looks a little better because you don't have the RF interference or anything like that. 
Um, but then, um, and and yes, this cartridge actually, and I, I did check this does work in a regular, in, in a regular uh, Atari. So I did check, and all this stuff works. Um, so we're gonna stop that for a second. Oh, and I, I forgot to show it. The, the controller does look like a regular, like normal controller. It feels good. It uh, and, and it's got, you know, the one button. So it comes with one controller. I bought a second controller. I haven't taken it out of the box yet, but it's there. Now, they also sold new games. And so I'm going to show some of these new games as well. So the first one I'm going to show is I got Mr. Run and Jump. This is apparent. This is I say, I think what they've said is this is literally the first officially published Atari 2600 game since like 1990. It's called Mr. Run and Jump. And so and it comes in a box that's like the originals, except one thing is no instruction manual on the inside. Uh, but they do have like a little sleeve around the the cartridge, which I don't remember. Well, maybe, either I don't remember it or the games that I bought secondhand didn't have this sleeve. But it is an, an actual Atari 2600 cart. And yes, this cartridge does work and this game does play in original hardware. So it is an actual legitimate Atari 2600 cartridge. It's all good. Uh, but Mr. Run and Jump, it kind of is, it, it evokes a little bit of uh, like your VVVVV or your uh, Celeste. It's it's that type of game. Um, so it's not an endless runner, even though it looks like it's an endless runner. It's all about patterns. So this is probably a speedrunner's dream here. But it's uh, essentially the, the plot of the game is your dog ran away and you need to go catch him. So as your dog runs away, you're trying to go and uh, you're, you have to jump over obstacles and not get hit by enemies. The interesting thing here is uh, you'll see flickering on some of these, and it's because of the nature of Atari 2600 programming. Uh, the Atari 2600 was only made to play Pong, basically. So having anything more than a play field, one... Uh, two paddles and a ball, it's really hard to do. And so this is also why, like, Pac-Man flickered. Um, and it's because it's using, on each frame, it's drawing something different. So on this screen that I'm showing here, there's three things on the screen that you need to see. Uh, and the uh, so it's it's really an engineering feat where every, uh, every frame, they can only show one of the enemies. And so I've, as I've seen as many as three enemies. There might be four. I'm not good enough at this game to get up to the next, uh, to, to get any further. I do get to the second stage. Uh, and then essentially if you get hit, you go all the way back to the beginning of the stage. Whereas I think like Celeste or them, uh, they stop, they put you back to the beginning of the screen. This takes you all the way back to the beginning, which makes it kind of hard to figure out what you're actually up. Oh, I died. Um, and, uh, Zemung 11 says that, that, uh, looks like ET trying to find Lassie. Uh, it does use a lot of the same sound effects. Like the, the sound effects you're hearing here, are kind of the same as, uh, like, what you heard in Adventure just a second ago. So I can see, like, speedrunners loving this game. Uh, because this is all about pattern recognition and movement and stuff. And, and this is the part where I, I never made... Like, this is as far as I've ever gotten in the game was this screen right here. Uh, so this screen right here I'd never seen before until I recorded this video and I died. Uh, so... That was that is the first new game for the Atari 2600 that has been released officially by Atari was Mr. Run and Jump. 
And uh, so it's actually, it is, it, I, I enjoy it. I kind of wish it had an instruction manual, uh, you know, bring, but they did bring back like the back of the box and everything. Uh, like I said, it does work on original hardware. Um, so it, uh, it very much is a speed running game. The other game that they came out with is a game that's not new. Uh, and it's Berserk, but this is an updated version of Berserk. Uh, so Berserk, you can actually play it. It's on Atari 50. But what they added is they added uh, the, uh, a hacker or homebrewer. I'm not going to say hacker. It's an enhanced edition. Uh, added in uh, diagonal shooting. So now you can shoot diagonal. So in Berserk, you're actually uh, tr- you know clearing out robots and then going to the next room. And voice. And I will say the voice works on original hardware so it's 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 neat um so in uh so berserk it starts up and it it, it plays like what you remember uh if you played it before or if you played it on atari 50 um but in this one it's essentially you're in you're you're in a room you're a person you're in a room and you are uh uh you're just trying to leave the room you don't have to kill all the robots but you can um, so I'm I'm killing all the robots. I'm killing all the dudes here. Um, you can see that every once in a while I'm shooting diagonal because the the robots could always shoot diagonal, but the player couldn't. But here's the voice. Here here you go. Voices on Atari Twenty Six. Humanoids must not escape. Uh, and every time you leave a room, it plays that. And yes, it does. Play, like I I was like I was skeptical that that would work on an actual Atari Twenty Six Hundred. It works. Here, here comes the, the voice again. Now, what's interesting is because that takes up so... Oh, here's... I don't even know what he says. Welcome to the something something. Um, but uh, it actually turns the screen, the video off because it takes, I guess, so much memory on the Atari 2600 to do that that it can't... It doesn't have the memory available to write to the screen. So the screen goes completely blank... And then it does the voice, and then it loads the next screen. So that was um, th- this was uh, th- I I I liked this update to it. Semic Eleven says this was also my favorite game in 1988. But imagine having you know. The Intellivision had the Intellivoice that had all the voices in it, but this is like just a straight Atari 2600 cartridge. Uh, Samonk11 says, me and my friends played this game so much. While I apologize that my gameplay here is probably kind of offensive, uh, I understand there is a Terms of Service here on Twitch, and, you know, my gameplay is sometimes offensive content. Um, So I apologize for that. So we're going to pause that for a second. All right. The other thing that I got out of it, was the paddle controller. So they also came with uh, legitimate paddle controllers and a 4-in-1 cartridge that also had dip switches at the top. So the 4-in-1 cartridge that came with the paddle controllers, you had Breakout, Canyon Bomber, Night Driver, and Video Olympics. And it has the dip switches on the back that you would switch up the games. So I did try it. And uh, we had Breakout is the game that I actually recorded here. Um... And I, I did not try these, or I did not try my my existing paddle controllers, uh, but these worked exactly kind of the way I remembered. It's been a while since I've used the paddle controllers for the Atari, but uh, it they, it worked just fine. So this is, I, I've, I've got some video playing up here of me trying, about to start the game and then, you know, using the, 
So it's breakout. And uh, and I'm sure that uh, a lot of the other stuff would work. And also, like, this would work with any of your existing games. If you had a cartridge that had uh, that, uh, that, that stuff in it, uh, I'm sure that it would work with it. Fifth Dream says, not Warlord, Riot. Yeah, Warlord is not in this. But if you had Warlord, the cartridge, it would work with these paddle controllers. They just didn't include it with this this game. But you can, if you can find the Warlord cartridge for like two bucks at a Goodwill, then you can play it on this system. Because I did that some. Uh, so I did also uh, try some games. And uh, so I, I, I pulled out some games from my collection. We've uh, and so I, I wanted to put these in through its paces, and so of course, of course, the game that I loaded, and I'm going to give you some. And we're 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 also this is also going to be an educational stream, uh, because you probably don't actually know how to play this game. That's right, it's ET. I'm going to show you how to play ET and how to beat ET, because yes, it is possible to beat it. The first thing that you need to know is a you need to go to game three. You need to have game three. Don't play game one. Don't play game two. Play game three. Have the difficulty on A and uh, on both on A. Now, when you're going around as ET, you're going to see at the top of the screen there's like arrows. There's a thing in the center. What that actually is telling you is what happens when you hit the button. And on each screen, you are looking for a question mark. And then when you use when you hit the button and an ET's net goes up with the question mark, you're looking for a flashing dot inside the pits. On the first screen, there were no flashing dots. What that is telling you is where is the telephone piece? You're trying to get the telephone pieces. So you're going around, or you could just fall into the pits randomly. But it's really a lot easier to find the question mark if you can. Now, sometimes it's kind of hard to find there's the question mark there. So I found the question mark in the top right part of that screen. There's four pits on the screen, and there was a flashing light in the top left pit. So I'm going to fall down in the pit, grab the piece of the telephone, and go up. And you hold down the button and go up. And this is where the bug will come in, where you'll fall right back down to the pit. It's why it's so challenging. But now you, uh, you're just going through all, like, there's like eight different screens with different pit uh, formations. And you're looking for a question mark and then looking for what's flashing. And you go down to that pit to get the telephone. So you you need to find three pieces of the telephone. Uh, and also there's like little dots that are candy. You can call Elliot to get you uh, to take the candy. And I think it gives you more time. There's a little time thing. Every action you take takes up more time. Now, the other thing is you're looking for, as you are going through these screens, you're also looking for an icon at the top of the screen that looks like an alien. And uh, this alien is what calls the ship. And so you you need to kind of remember where that is for later. Uh, and I mentioned that because right here on this screen, I do actually find this uh, here. And I'm like, okay, I now know where the alien is for later. And then I fall into a random pit because that's what happens in E.T. Uh, but I find the alien calling, so I know that I need to go back to this spot on the left side of this screen to call the alien. But I'm still looking for the third telephone piece, and I finally see the question mark here. It shows me which pit it's I need to go into, so I'm going to fall into that pit, get the telephone. Now, this is not a good speed run because I did messed up the final part of it, but uh, I will beat the game in just a second here. So you go over, you find that place where you had the little alien, you call the alien, a timer starts. You have... Uh, basically like a minute 
And so now you go back to the forest where you started the game, and you are looking in the forest for what looks like a little target drop zone type of thing. That's the icon that'll show up at the top. Spoiler alert, I don't find it. And so this timer is going to run all the way out, and I'm not going to get rescued. But, uh, and I got very close. Like, watching this video back, I'm like, ooh, if I had, I, I got very close on this first run to where, where it actually is. But if it's okay if it doesn't pan out. So, like, you know, the timer ran out, nothing happened. So I'm still going around on this forest trying to find uh, where the drop zone is. And I'd finally find it. So the drop zone looks like a little target. It's a, bo bo a box with a circle in the center of it. So I'm like, okay, now I know where I need to go. Now, if you see on the top, there's arrows. That basically just warps you to whatever screen is in that direction. Uh, and so that's an easy way. But it also takes away a lot of energy out of the bottom. Right now I've got... You start with 9,999. Uh, and every action you take drops that down. So if you stand still, nothing happens. But every time you hit the button, it takes a lot. Uh, and every time you move, it takes down a little bit. So you're trying to get out before uh, before the timer runs out. So now I'm back in the forest. I'm in the drop zone. I'm waiting for the timer. And now you just sit there and wait. And you wait to be picked up by your parents. Uh, and uh, so and and this is uh, th this is the end of the game. Um, it, it it actually it it loops over and over again. But here we go. The timer's counting down. I'm in the drop zone, and they come and pick me up. And there you go. That is how you play Atari for uh, ET for the Atari 2600. That's how you play it. So game three, difficulty A on both switches, because that makes it so, like, you don't get attacked by the people and stuff like that. Uh, that is how you play ET for the Atari 2600. Uh, so game, yeah, and, and uh, Rob says, what's the difference between game three and game one? I actually don't remember off the top of my head. But when I got E.T., it came with this button, or this uh, not not the button, but uh, this came with an a, additional pamphlet outside of the instruction manual. It was like, here's tips. And it says start on game three. And I think game three does not include the agent, I think, is one of the things. And there's there's some other things, but it's essentially it is Bobby Blackwolf mode. It's easy mode. Um, so. Uh, game one includes like the agent coming and taking you away, and that's why you need the candy and you need to call for Elliot. One of the one of the um, one of the icons at the top is you know ET's head with an E, and that's calls Elliot to get the scientist away from you uh, and things like that. So yeah, so that's how you play ET. And then I tried one other game, which is a uh, homebrew, and it worked. I've had this game for a while. Uh, I got this game right when it came out, uh, and uh, it it is. It is a game that uh, that you, that you might have you might have heard of. It's a Xbox version, but did you ever play the original Halo on Halo Twenty Six Hundred? This was actually done by Ed Freeze, who was at Microsoft at the time. After reading Racing the Beam uh, by Ian Bogost, which talked about Atari Twenty Six Hundred programming, he's like, "I want to try that," and so he learned sixty five hundred two pro uh, programming and made Halo for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. And so you have Master Chief here. He picks up a gun and, you know, shooting dudes and getting killed uh, and stuff like that. Um, so uh, this was a homebrew that he had made uh, where you're, you're, you're playing as Master Chief, going through different worlds uh, and, uh, you know, killing dudes and getting shields and, and things like that. So um, 
I tried this and it worked. It worked really well. Uh, it because especially because it was made later, so it's using tricks that probably didn't exist originally with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. So I gave this one a shot. Um, unfortunately, I don't think you can get this cartridge anymore. I had actually bought two of them off of Atari Age, like right when it came out. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so it it totally works in this emulated version, and this is uh, this is the best Halo game ever made. Right here is uh, Halo Twenty Six Hundred. Uh, Eleven asks, does it have multiplayer? It does not. It does not. Uh, that's why it's the best Halo game ever made. Uh, and then I just died in it. All right. So, um, Rob Roberts does point out, he looked it up for me. Thank you so much for E.T. In game one, all humans are present in the game. In game two, Elliot and the FBI agent is present. The FBI agent's trying to capture you uh, with no scientists. So, the, the scientist wants to experiment on you. Uh, and then game three, only Elliot's in the game, uh, which basically gives you back stuff. So, game three is really easy mode on that. Uh, so the one game that I tried that didn't completely work is because it's, uh, because this is an emulator and it's another homebrew game. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a game that I had gotten way early on in, in Kickstarter back when, you know, we liked Kickstarter and we actually like trusted that Kickstarter would happen. It's a game called Star Castle. And this is actually cart number, uh, 233 individually numbered cart. Uh, and I, can't, I forget, I should have like looked up who did this, uh, but it was, um, Star Castle was an arcade game and the story behind Star Castle is that they wanted, um, they, they wanted to release a home version of it and they gave, gave it the, the task to Howard Scott Warshaw, uh, who made E.T., but he also made another game, which is very central to this. And Howard Scott Warshaw said, I can't make Star Castle for the Atari 2600. It just can't work. But he took a lot of the concepts, and it became Yar's Revenge. So Star Castle was the game they were trying to port. They couldn't do it, uh, but um, it they uh, uh, but but he was able to make it in uh, make Yar's Revenge instead. So in the 2010s, in the early days of Kickstarter, uh, somebody said, "You know what? I'm actually going to try to make Star Castle," and he did, and it worked. And so I bought this, and. Um, Scott Williams is the person who designed it. He actually signed it. So this is also a signed cartridge from Scott Williams. Um, now, the game works. Like, the game plays, but the the gimmick here is that he put lights in the cartridge. And so whenever there was a hit, the light, the cartridge blinked. And because this is an emulator and not an actual Atari 2600, because he's using, like, direct programmable, like, additional chips, kind of like the Super FX chip and the Super, uh, Super Nintendo, the emulator doesn't know what to do with that. So you put it in, and you turn it on, and the lights will come on for, like, half a second at the beginning. But then they won't actually come back. They won't come back. So I'm going to see if it'll actually... To, and like I'm going to see if the lights actually come on when I turn this on. I don't actually have video of this being run. Yeah, so you see the lights came on just for a quick second there. Uh, but then that's it. Whereas in, in normal gameplay, like as you're playing, it's flashing all the time. It's a really neat effect. Uh, but it unfortunately does not work on the Atari 2600 because that is something part of the cartridge that's not part of the emulator because it's really just dumping the ROM and playing it on an emulator. It's not actually playing it off the cartridge. So... That is the downside of the way that they did the Atari 2600 Plus. So, um, I, I like it. I think that this is great. 
you know, it's, it was like 130 bucks. And uh, if you have a li- library of cartridges and you don't, and now more TVs are not having the RF in. So it's getting increasingly harder to find a TV, especially these smart TVs, to plug in your original Atari 2600. Even if it works, it's getting harder to find TVs to plug that into. This is a good alternative for people who don't want to invest like in an old CRT TV or anything like that. Uh, this this does really well for you know 95% of the games out there. They don't claim 100% compatibility, uh, but there are games they said, oh yeah, it doesn't really work with this. It works fine. Uh, if Stella can run it, this can run it. And I believe they've even already done a firmware update so it can run even more games. I think there is a firmware update to this already uh, that allows it to run other games that maybe use some other tricks that maybe a later version of Stella had. Uh, and I, I've heard a little bit about that, and I'm sure that it. you can update this like you update any of the other stuff. You plug in you know, you, it to your computer over USB, and you can flash the firmware. I'm sure that's how it works. And you know, I'm sure that other people are going to hack it, and maybe they'll add external memory to this. ZenMug11 said, uh, I had these Atari games. I got the name, but it felt like four parts. It was a Fire World, Earth World, Water World, maybe an Air World. It was cool. Games came with a mini comic book. I forgot the name. So Questbuster also points out Sword Quest is what you were thinking of. Uh, the Sword Quest series was never completed uh, because Atari ran into financial issues, but it had some incredible prizes. Now, what I will tell you is that if you want to try those, the Atari 50 collection from Digital Eclipse has the three that they made for Sword Quest and Digital Eclipse made the fourth game based on the design documents. So all four games are there. It's just the fourth game in the series was actually made by Digital Eclipse in 2023 based on a lot of the design documents that they had from that from that era. So, uh, But the first three are in there, and also the comic book is in there, all the instruction manual. Like Atari 50 is a great collection for this stuff, and it's available on all the platforms, and you can play it there. So, so yeah, but if you have a lot of the old cartridges or have access to a lot of old cartridges, uh, this Atari 2600, this is going to be, this is good. And it will, like I said, if, even if you already have joysticks, it'll work with this because it's all the standard stuff. They really did, uh, a good job on that, um, on this. But if you just want to play some of the games and you don't really have the cartridges, I would suggest like Atari 50, which is available on PC and Switch and, uh, I believe it's on Xbox and PlayStation. It's it's on all that stuff. Uh, and they just added 12 new games to it this month. Uh, 12, even, 12 more games. And, uh, and yeah, so... Uh, and Rob Roberts even says Atari 50 is pretty great. And honestly, if this hardware is out of your price range, I'd uh, recommend trying to grab Atari 50 on a sale. That's right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I uh, talked a lot about Atari. And also, I thought there would this would be a light news week. And it wasn't. Not for my show. Uh, so we will not be doing the music break uh, tonight. We won't be taking calls. But even though we are here in the uh, in the morning or the afternoon, depending on where you are, coming up next here on the Voice Geeks Network at twitch.tv slash vlog network is Orange Lounge Radio. It's three people out in Sacramento, California. They talk about games for longer than I do. They are also doing an early show today, which we normally don't do. This is an it's, 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 it's interesting to have the sun up. When I'm doing this, uh, Sacramento, are you there? Hi, Bobby. I'm here. How are you? I I am doing well. This is uh, it, it, my my internal clock is off a little bit. Yeah, I'm not used it's, to do. It's a little different. Yeah, because usually, like, even if the sun is up when I like in the summertime when I start the show, it's down by the time I end the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've got a whole day ahead of me. 
I know. I yeah. Just think of all the video games you can play tonight. I know. Like, think I've, of all the times you can beat E.T. That's right. I mean, I already beat it once today. So because I regret you can you can kick it up and try game two. No, see, see if you can dodge the FBI agent. <laughs> no, I can't. That is not going to happen. Um, you, you know what's funny? I found just to quickly. I found the manual for ET online mm-hmm. somewhere, and it's a. That's how I got the info that I sent you in chat. Yeah, it's amazing how much of that game really is explained in the manual. Yes, if you just bother to read it. Yes, and and that's and and it, so, so who could do that when we were kids, right? But also, like the thing was like there's a manual, but then there was like what where I learned all this stuff was there was an X. Ex- extra book outside mm. of the manual that was a here's how to play you know here's you know here's some more stuff so maybe that's also what you saw but it was separate from the actual book yes, manual. I, was gonna say, I actually googled some and it had the supplement thing yes. that said start with game three yes. and so i was like oh, okay that was what bobby was just talking and about that yeah. is that supplement is what i had gotten and read through and i'm like oh okay this makes right. sense but remember like when we were kids or well what people a lot of people say now and i've heard this a lot Especially, and we're like talking Nintendo games specifically. They're like, oh, The Legend of Zelda, it just dropped you in. It didn't explain anything to you. Kids today, they need tutorials. And I'm like, the manual for The Legend of Zelda was 50 pages long and it walked you through the first three dungeons. Yeah. And like, you know, having a subscription in Nintendo Fun Club was almost mandatory in those yeah. days, right? And then you'd get the entire map sent to you from the Fun Club or in the, I think the first issue ever of Nintendo Power, if I remember, it was either that or the last Nintendo Fun Club had the entire map of the second quest and explained what the second quest of Zelda was. So it wasn't yeah. exactly some type of secret either. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, interesting how. Uh, people forget some of those supplemental things we had back in the day, which is why I'm kind of sad that like these games they did like they didn't put a manual in them or there's no manual available. Yeah. I mean, at least Atari 50, they scanned in the manual and you could read through it all, and you kind of needed that for some of those games to learn how to play. Yeah, uh, I would say Sword Quest, which we're just talking about in chat. I, I, that game still makes no sense to me hardly, yeah. but it's you know you need the manual to explain everything. Or yeah, the comic probably. Yeah, and the comic because the the puzzles in there. It's like look at page, look at panel three on page sixteen, and that tell you know. And so yeah, but but they didn't have the room on these cartridges to put a tutorial in, and right. that's why manuals started getting phased out. Is because they didn't need a manual anymore because they just taught you in the game. But then that gives the road co- rose-colored glasses of today. They're like, well, nobody told me how to play Legend of Zelda. I'm like, no, I took the manual with me to school, and I put it in between <laughs> my textbook. Like, I had my textbook open with the Legend of Zelda manual open inside of it, and I was reading the manual at school, that 50-page manual. And, like, I think folks kind of really underestimate how much we would share stuff at school, too. Yeah. You know, like, did you find level nine or where is level nine or where do I go to get this mm-hmm. or where do I use this item? Like we didn't, you know, the Internet was not really up and running yet. So you just it really was all word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And Toothpick Vic even says we also played only one game for the entire summer. Like we didn't True. have a Steam backlog back then. <laughs> you know, we yeah, had one game, 50, 50 bucks on one game. You're going to play that game for six months. I know. Sure. Exactly. Uh, Questbuster wants to say one more note about Sword Quest. It's one of the mysteries from the past that I love. He loved reading about. Uh, there were four prizes valued at twenty five thousand dollars each. Uh, the sword was worth fifty thousand in nineteen eighties bucks, and I think one of the prizes, the Earth Talisman, was melted down by the winner to sell off the gold. It was made for of, but I think the person who won the chalice still has it, and not sure wow. about the crown. 
I just want some of those old Activision patches. Yes. That showed I got certain scores in yeah. games because I've been able to get some of those scores. I know one of my favorite Atari 2600 games is H-E-R-O or Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've definitely beaten the score that you need to get the patch for that game. So um, I want to say they had a virtual version of this in one of the uh, Atari collections. But it's like, it's like the most old school form of trophies or achievements. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure somebody on Etsy has it. Uh, that's a good point. I should I should make a jacket with a bunch of Activision patches yeah. on it. That'd be rad. Yeah. yeah, especially now that we like Activision again. We we well we will in five days. Okay, and that's something we'll talk about on OLR tonight. Right. We're getting a holiday present. Uh, Bobby Kotick is going to be departing Activision two days early. So um, you know, a, a real good holiday gift would be him getting fired. Um, but um we'll take what we can get i guess um you know it's it's like asking for um a brand new you know game console and getting um you know like the portable led version of the game instead uh so you know that that's that also on tonight's olr i think this is amazing an old old playstation one cheat code unveiled 20 plus years after the fact get this bobby i don't know if you read about this it unlocks the ability to play any disc. You just, it basically, the cheat code, it was like a, a, it was a piracy galore thing that was set up in the system. So you could just pop open the, the and do a disc, disc swap. And it was all put in there just because the developer wanted to see, could, could we do a disc swap? Is that something that's possible? And so they put it in the game. And so if you have this game, you may have a, uh, a free boot disc and you never you never knew it you don't need a car you don't need a little cartridge slot you don't need to do the paperclip trick you don't need anything and if you don't have that game resurrection and if you don't have that game it's too late because it's already shot up in price and you're never going to find it that's that's absolutely right so good luck with that uh and also i am going to be so excited because like hearing because the person at activision he shares my first name and hearing my first name yelled in anger on podcasts all over the internet has been terrible, and I cannot yeah. wait for in five days that my name will no longer be yelled in anger, unless right. I actually did something. That's right. There's only the good. Only the good Bobby remains. That's right. Good. Good Bobby emerges victorious in the gaming industry. I, I kicked. Out, I kicked him out of the Bobby Club. The bad Bobby. I kicked yeah. him out of the Bobby Club years ago. <laughs> Uh, but that didn't stop anything. All right. Uh, Orange Lounge Radio is up next here on this afternoon here. Uh, it's about yes. to be noon, or it is noon over there. So uh, Orange it Lounge is. Radio is yeah. up next. Uh, hope you have uh, a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, Thank you. I, to you and, and Mrs. Blackwell. Yes. Uh, and Orange Lounge Radio is up next. Thanks so much. Thanks. See you next year. So uh, that is it for me for the year. We're done. We did it. Uh, the the year's going to be over. This is the last episode of 2023. Thank you so much for being here. We will be back in 2024 on Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, our normal time here on the Voice Geeks Network Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash vognetwork. Come join us and interact with the show directly. Uh, vognetwork.com slash discord is how you get into our discord server so you can share news like that Windows Mixed Reality news that I talked about earlier in the week uh, and sharing what uh, maybe you can show share what you got under the tree. This year, we can talk about all the fun stuff we're getting, uh, what Santa is bringing us tomorrow morning. Or you can find me at Bobby Blackwolf on most social media networks at BobbyBlackWolf.com where the skies are blue. Uh, and also uh, at Awesome Games Done Quick up in Pittsburgh in just a couple weeks on Thursday night and Saturday on the last day of the marathon. 
Uh, if you like the show, tell a friend. If you hate the show, tell an enemy. I don't care. Just tell someone. The show is not for everybody, but it may be for somebody who does not know about it yet. But we would not be able to make this live show work without the help of the chatters to go above and beyond. You being here, especially at a weird time when we're not normally live, is amazing. Thank you so much for that. Uh, but we, but the people who go above and beyond make things a lot easier for us uh, to just, you know, stay in the black. So thank you so much, Tiger Claw, for resubscribing. Thank you so much. She-Hulk 10 gave 200 bits, saying Merry Christmas, and thanks for having a show on Christmas Eve. Thanks so much. Uh, Orange Wright resubscribed. Thank you so much. She-Hulk 10 uh, sent another 100 bits, saying thanks for the show, Bobby. You are very, very welcome. Uh, Wayne in 12 resubscribed. Thank you so much for that. And then we just got a follow from Toothpick Vic. Thank you so much, Vic, for following uh, so I am now going to hit the button that says uh, the show's ending. There it is. Uh, so have a wonderful rest of 2023. Please, on New Year's Eve, uh, I want you to have just as many fingers after New Year's Eve as you did before. So please be careful, and I'll see you next year. Bye. A winner is you. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the opinions of the Vogue Network, people who need to hire new voiceover guys, or your mom. Although if Bobby said it, it really should be. This has been a production of Bobby Blackwolf Studios.